Hi, my name is Gates. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Killer Country. So, do we want to start off with how we first got into true crime? Yeah. Okay, so how did you first get into true crime? What's your first story that you ever remember? My first story? Well, I definitely grew up watching true crime. Mm-hmm. My mom was a 48 Hours Mystery enthusiast, mm-hmm. so that was a... Every weeknight, well, I think it was weekends, wasn't it? Sunday nights? Most likely. I, think I don't remember. 48 hour investigator or whatever. <laughs> um, so we definitely watched that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think my very first like introduction to true crime is actually a ghost story that happened to be true. Oh. And I might cover it down the road, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. Mm-hmm. But basically, in the town that I'm from in Minnesota, um, a neighboring city had a has a ghost story of Annie Mary, and it's actually based off of a true story about a little girl named Annie Mary. So. Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. So I I definitely like the true crime slash paranormal yeah thing going on. Like I said, it was kind of one of those things that your parents would tell you to scare you, but mm-hmm. it ended up being a true story. So yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Then what about you? So my first kind of delve into true crime is actually a couple weeks after I was born, there was a little girl in my hometown who was kidnapped. Her name is Morgan Nick. And I am absolutely covering her story whenever we go to Arkansas. But, oh, I guess we should also say (laughs) what we're planning on doing with this podcast. Um, Sorry, I have the attention of a squirrel. But, um, so Morgan Nick was kidnapped from a baseball field. And like, just like you, I'm not going to go into too much information, but, um, I remember her mom like coming to our schools and teaching us about stranger danger. And Mm. whenever I was younger, we had a password, like my parents had a password that they would give to their friends if they were ever to pick us up from school. And they said, you know, if anyone comes up to you and says that their mommy and daddy's friends, what do you say? You ask for the password. And then if they don't know it run, scream, like do whatever you can, whatever you can get attention to yourself from other adults that can help. That's so. crazy. That was cause that's, it seems like that's something that's kind of coming back into like raising kids nowadays. You mm-hmm. see it all over Facebook. Um, parents that are saying, Oh, we have this code word. And I mean, we're 25 years old. So yeah, 25 years ago, our parents were thinking of the same thing. So I think that just goes to show like it's always been a problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And stranger danger is real. <laughs> Very real. <laughs> so our podcast, Killer Country, we have a vision and we're excited to bring it to life. Um, Gates, this was the the brainchild of Gates. <laughs> yes. I woke up one night, middle of the night, and I leaned over to my husband and I said, baby, our lives are about to change. And I went back to sleep. He was so confused whenever I woke up in the morning. He's like, what in the world happened? Like, <laughs> What's just, going on? just leaned over, you said something, and then you went back to sleep. And so what, like, once I actually woke up, I told him, I'm like, man, you know, I had this crazy idea. And leading back to Morgan Nick, you know, missing person, she's been mm-hmm. missing, you know, since she was five years old. And now she's wow. in her early 30s. So, um I'm really wanting to put an emphasis on missing persons. And then we're also wanting to kind of go through the states in alphabetical order, like we learned in the fifth grade, mm-hmm. that song. <laughs> the um, 50 nifty United States. Yes. 
but uh, we're wanting to go through and really touch on each of the states. Um, I don't think we're necessarily going to be doing every single month those big, huge cases, right. but we're going to do ones that speak to us. Like in this first episode, I'm doing something that's in my line of work. Mm-hmm. So I'm a paraptometric technician, so I work with eyeballs all day. Well, this person that I'm covering in my first case, he's from that same line of work. So it's something that we're going to do things that speak to us. We're going to find those Mm -hmm. missing persons and we're going to be presenting on those missing persons. That really means a lot to us. And with, with missing persons, it's very, um, difficult to know which ones to pick. Because it's a very gray area. Yes. You never know if you're picking the person who on purpose ran away from home and, Mm -hmm. you know, their parents abused them or they ran away from an abuser. Right. You don't know if you're trying to find missing because the, the database says they're missing, not because we know anything, any reason behind it. Yeah. So we have to be like very particular on which ones we pick and there might be more than one or, you know, whenever we get to a certain state if there, I remember in one state, I can't remember the state, but there were like five or 12 women. I know that's a yeah. big difference, <laughs> but five or 12 women in their teens that went missing within a one month time period yeah. back in May. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're just going to do one each time. We right. might do a little bit more. It just really depends on right. what's happening and what that state is. And then kind of the vibe behind Killer Country, both Gates and I are travel bugs. Yes. We we love to be on the road. We love to just see all the all the things, all the sights. Um, and we want to take you guys on that road trip with us. Um, we are going to, like Gates has said, we're going to go through state by state. Um, there's 52 weeks in a year, so we are going to include all 50 states and Puerto Rico and the D.C., Yes. So 52 weeks, 52 states, if you will, um, and just a roadmap to the U.S. and what true crime means in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, without further ado, do you want to get started? Let's do it. All right. So Gates and I are both from Alabama. Well, not originally. Yeah. Um, I'm originally from Minnesota. I'm originally from Arkansas. Then I grew up in Missouri. Now both currently live in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So that's going to lead us into Gates's very first case of yes. killer country. So the person that I decided to cover is Dr. Jack Wilson. So he was born on May 5th in 1937 up in Chicago, Illinois. So um, not much. I wasn't able to find much about his early childhood. Um, the earliest I was able to find was in 1976, and that's when he met a beautiful nurse at Huntsville Hospital. And that's the name of our hospital here. Yeah, it's like, still it's, Huntsville Hospital. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we have a Crestwood Hospital and we have Huntsville Hospital. So it's not like we're just saying this hospital is a hospital in Huntsville. It's literally called Huntsville Hospital. But he met a beautiful nurse at Huntsville Hospital, and he ended up marrying a year or two later. So I couldn't find their exact wedding date. And I had seen different articles that said that they had been married for 14 and 15 years before his death. I'm going to go ahead and pick 14 years just because I had seen that in more. So um, they'd been married for 14 years before his death on May 22nd, 1992. So this was both his and his new wife, Betty's second marriage. And they both came to the marriage with three children. So six children, blended family. Oh my goodness, the Brady Bunch. Yes, big house. So, and... Like I said, it could be because this is the first case of ever research, 
But I could not find much, if any, information on his first wife or Betty's first husband. So once they got married, Betty moved into Dr. Wilson's $6 million mansion. $6 million? $6 million (laughs) mansion back in 1992. pocket change. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just have that, you know, know. in my coat pocket, whatever. (laughs) So um, it's in the Boulder Circle neighborhood in Huntsville, so like a very nice area Mm -hmm. here. And she quit her job as a nurse to become a housewife for... Well, if they're living in a $6 million house, it doesn't sound like she needs to be a nurse. No, I wouldn't be a nurse if I married a wealthy doctor. No. No. So, uh, Dr. Wilson was a well-known and well-loved ophthalmologist in the Huntsville area. So, um, I actually heard this case from one of our patients that comes through my office. Um, This was before I ever even thought about podcasts, before I even listened to podcasts. He asked, um, once he found out how young I was, young in quotations, (laughs) (laughs) um, he was like, oh, so you weren't here, you know, whenever Dr. Wilson was murdered. No, sir. I was not here in 1992. (laughs) No, I was not. 95, yes. But so um, he was a well-known and well-loved ophthalmologist. Um, He was involved in a lot of charity work. So if he had patients come through for surgery that their insurance couldn't pay or they just couldn't afford the surgery, he would do it for them for free. So he was a phenomenal man. Like the entire community of Huntsville felt his loss after he was murdered. So the day of the murder, May 22nd, 1992, Betty, um, Dr. Wilson's wife, and him went to lunch together. And then he came home from work around four o'clock. So uh, the neighbors say about 30 minutes later, he went outside to the front yard with a baseball bat to hammer in a political campaign sign into the ground. With a baseball bat? With a baseball bat. I don't know. Maybe he couldn't find a hammer. (laughs) understand. I mean, I've definitely used a screwdriver to nail and nails before, but we're not going to talk about it. Yes. No, I'm handy, but I'm not a baseball bat handy (laughs) type of person. So Betty um, spent the beginning of the day shopping because the next day they were leaving for Santa Fe. So um, after shopping and lunch with her husband, she ended up attending an AA meeting in the evening. Hmm. So she returned home after the meeting around 930 um, and she walked up the stairs and found her husband, Dr. Wilson, laying on the ground with a baseball bat next to him. So shocked and terrified, like anyone would, yeah. uh, she ran out of the house to her neighbors to call the police. So at first specla- speculation, <laughs> oh, at first speculation, his murder looked like a burglary gone wrong, but they found no signs of forced entry. And despite being found in a $6 million mansion, Betty reported that the only thing that was missing was her gun. Out of the entire house in a $6 million mansion. Can we just talk about what $6 million is then compared to now? I guarantee you that if the only thing that was missing was her, what, $200 gun from the $6 million mansion? If that back then. So $6 million mansion um, with inflation today is $12 million. Five hundred fifty-eight thousand five hundred forty-six dollars and twenty-nine cents. And that's just the house they're living in. Just the house. I mean, nothing inside of it. <laughs> nothing. So we're at talking. All. I mean, it has to be like well over at least fourteen million in assets in this house alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the only thing that was missing was a gun. Sounds a little sus to me. Yeah, you know, I would say. So, uh, yeah, so nothing was missing except for Betty's gun. They didn't find anything abnormal at the house or in the yard while clearing the scene. This is important for later. Okay. So when the police arrived, they found Dr. Wilson beaten to death and stabbed twice in the chest. 
A later autopsy found that his right shoulder, skull, hyoid bone, and his arms were all fractured. So authorities did not find any DNA nor fingerprints, and the blood found on the baseball bat only belonged to Jack. There was little to no evidence supporting the early theory of a burglary gone wrong, so the police started looking into people that Dr. Wilson knew. So obviously, first person that they're going to look at is the wife. Mm -hmm. So the police verified Betty's alibis through credit card receipts and eyewitness reports through most of the day. And there were two 30-minute periods, one around 2.30 and the other around 5, where she could not be accounted for. I mean, this is a brutal crime. Like, this is not something that, like, shooting somebody, can that can happen in 30 mm-hmm. minutes. You walk in, you shoot them, you leave. Yeah. End of story. Especially if you're not stealing anything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he has a broken hyoid bone, hyoid bone which <laughs> tells you, I mean, strangulation. strangulation. Mm-hmm. He was beaten with his own baseball bat mm-hmm. and stabbed. Mm-hmm. That is a... Crime of passion. Yeah, and there is absolutely no evidence of gunshot wounds. No evidence of the gun going off. Anything like that. It's just bizarre that that's the only thing that would be missing then. Mm-hmm. Huh. Not a kitchen knife or anything? No. But what? I do kind of cover something later on okay. in my forensic files. So I need to be that. patient? Yes. Okay. Please Got be you. patient with me. This is my first case. <laughs> I just want all the answers now, Gates. Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying. But we're only on page three. <laughs> So, um, when the news of Dr. Wilson's murder broke, the Shelby County Police informed the Huntsville Police of a phone call that they had received from a woman in Vincent, Alabama, saying that she was concerned that her friend was going to go to Huntsville to kill a doctor. So, oh, just casual. Yeah, just casually, oh. like, talking to your friends. Hey, you know, I'm going to drive way. two hours to Huntsville, Alabama so I can kill a doctor. Like, no big what? deal. So, uh, depending on how fast or slow you drive, Vincent is a little over two hours away from Huntsville, you know, depending on where you're going and things like that. And maybe back then it was even longer. Sure. Because I just looked at maps, like... Current. Yeah, Yeah, today's maps. So, the unnamed woman's friend was a man by the name of James White. So, James White was a Vietnam veteran, but he was rumored to have killed his own men while he was over Oh my gosh. Not only that, but he has a long-standing history of mental disorders, alcoholism, and um, drug abuse problems. Oh, wow. He'd also been incarcerated in mental institutions, and he had been sent to jail. Oh, my. And some of his charges were, of course, drugs, and then another one was child molestation. So a lot of things happened in this man's life, like not... Maybe if he would have gotten the help that he needed, something like this would have happened. Yeah. But you'll see the manipulation that people used on Jack. Or not Jack. Jack is our doctor. Um, James. Um, you'll see kind of the ma- manipulation that was used to convince him to do this. Mm. So James had four children from a previous marriage, and he worked as a handyman at Vincent Elementary School. Oh, good. Yes. So, around children as a child molester. And not to mention all of the heinous crimes he'd been accused of. Exactly. Good. So, the police ended up questioning James, and at first, you know, obviously he denied all involvement in Dr. Wilson's murder case. But just like with many interrogations, the longer the police questioned him, the more information came out about his involvement. As the police questioned him, they found that he worked with Betty's twin sister, Peggy, at Vincent Elementary School. So, Betty, once again, is the wife of Dr. Jack Wilson. 
Um, so she has a twin sister, Peggy. Um, James works with Peggy at this elementary school. And even though Peggy was married, he was infatuated with Peggy. And he said that they spent hours on the phone together. And he even claimed that they had an intimate relationship. Oh, Peggy, you need to raise your bar. Yes. So, um, he also said that he knew Peggy's sister, Betty, because he was going to do some work for her. Mm. So I could not uh-huh. find what work that was, but he was going to do some work for her. Maybe okay. killing her husband type of work? Conveniently while she's out of the home? I don't know. Yeah. And she's <laughs> able to get alibis throughout the entire yeah. day shopping. But, I mean, whenever you live in a $6 million mansion, maybe you can afford to do all the shopping right. that you want. <laughs> After hours of questioning, he was given a plea deal to confess the murder to avoid the death penalty. Even though he confessed to the murder, the police were perplexed because his confession was confusing and he didn't remember specifics about how he murdered Dr. Wilson. The real bombshell was when he told the police that Peggy and Betty hired him to kill Dr. Jack Wilson. But what? I don't understand Peggy's, like, Betty, I get it. Betty's the the wife and she's probably got her reasons. I'm sure there's a very large sum of life insurance coming her way. But what does Peggy get out of this? It's her like, twin sister. Don't I mean, you have a sister that you would do anything for? Like, I'm I don't not know. going to kill her husband. <laughs> because I'll say, I don't know if I would kill like, my sister's husband. No. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like the entire population of Huntsville love Dr. Wilson. Yeah. Like, what would you, aside from money, what would you get out of killing your husband I, in a way I, like this? And unless she wanted the fame, like the... The name to be associated. I don't know why that is something you would want associated with you, but I don't I, know. I don't know. And we'll get through this, and it's it's not really resolved at the end, which is really That's frustrating. frustrating. <laughs> so, uh, Jack, no, James stated that Peggy asked him to murder her twin sister's husband for $5,000. Out of the 12, oh, excuse me, 6 million at the time that they have in just physical assets, mm-hmm. $5,000. $5,000. But you know what? To James, I'm sure that's a lot of money. It could be a handyman at an elementary yeah. school. 5000 could be and, a lot. I mean, I know what soldiers get paid nowadays, so I can't imagine that he was bringing home a very big paycheck from yeah. the military then. Exactly. So I'm sure that, pro- that probably was a lot of money for James. It could have been. So, he did say that he and Peggy had a secu- sexual relationship, like I had said earlier, and but he did say over time she used it against him to pressure him into killing her sister's husband. So, mm-hmm. very, like, manipulative, however you turn it, if, you know, what if Peggy never had that relationship with yeah. him? Like, he's turning around saying that she, she's seduced him, basically, into killing her twin sister's husband. Well, and and she was in a she was married. So it almost sounds like Peggy only entertained the relationship because she knew what he was capable of. Exactly. I mean, having rumors about killing your own man yeah. while, you know, stationed outside of the country, that in itself. Yeah. So even though Dr. Wilson was a well-loved and respected doctor and lived in a $6 million mansion, they only offered him $5,000 to kill Dr. Wilson. (laughs) Yeah. It's just shocking. It's a very small sum. So since White would need the money to get to Huntsville to kill Dr. Wilson, he received the first part of the money before the murder. 
Peggy, the sister, instructed him to go to Lake Gunnersville State Park. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on where you're at, where you're coming from in Huntsville, it's about an hour or so out of Huntsville. And it's a really beautiful drive for Gorgeous. people not from the area. It's all kind of lake country, mm-hmm. and there's a um, historical caverns you can check out and state parks and all kinds of stuff. It's very pretty. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful area. Peggy had left him cash inside a book at the park. So he was also given Betty's gun to kill her husband with at that time. Oh, so that's why the gun is missing. But he didn't put the... Yeah, yeah. I have thoughts. (laughs) Well, we have two different scenarios that we can go over later on from forensic files that I had found. Okay. So um, on May 22nd, he stated that Betty Wilson let him come into her house where he waited for Dr. Wilson to get home from work. So, obviously, if you're thinking, like, the prosecution, you're going to think that at that 2 or 2.30 mm-hmm. mark, where she was, you know, unaccounted for for mm-hmm. 30 minutes, she could have gone home, unlocked Let the door. In. Because, like I said earlier, the police found absolutely no traces of... Breaking and entering or mm-hmm. anything. Forced entry. <clears throat> Sorry, words are difficult. <laughs> Uh, here, here is the confusing part, though. Like we said with the gun, White said that he met Dr. Wilson upstairs where he killed him, but could not say what he killed him with, only that he didn't use Betty's gun to do it. So after the murder was finished, he left the gun and the poetry book in a nearby abandoned house and received the rest of the money and returned home to Vincent. So according to forensic files, there were two scenarios that the police came up with. Okay. Scenario one, Dr. Wilson hammered his campaign sign in the front yard with his baseball bat. James White decided not to kill Dr. Wilson, but he encountered him in the hallway where there was a struggle and he killed Dr. Wilson. Because he was already in the home. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yes. I can see that. So scenario two, you know, once again, Dr. Wilson hammered the campaign sign in the front yard with a baseball bat and two people killed him outside or in the garage brought him in the house with a tarp and staged him in the hall. And it's like, it's weird. They said that they turned on like 180 degrees and that explains this weird swirl pattern found on the ground the in Dr. Wilson's blood. So those are the two scenarios that were brought up by forensic files. But sometime after James White's first confession, he amended his story by adding a new detail. Oh. After the murder, he changed his clothes at the Wilson's house, and he put them in a bag and hid them near Wilson, the Wilson's swimming pool. And this was never found? This was, this was found, but after the fact. So it wasn't found in that like first initial search. Because like that I had said, yeah. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary was found. They didn't find some random man's clothes right. near the swimming pool. So, so the investigation was flawed. Yes, yeah, so... During the initial search, the police did not find that bag. So authorities found the clothes right where White told him, told them that they could find it, but they could not confirm that the clothes were bloodstained. I don't know how you're unable to confirm that the clothes were bloodstained. Yeah. 1992. Yeah. Uh, maybe it just wasn't... Well, you should still be able to determine whether or not it was blood. Like, you I know DNA so. wasn't as advanced as it is now, but... Mm-hmm. You can tell whether or not something's human blood. Yeah. In 1992. I mean, maybe they thought it was pig's blood. If there was any blood found, I don't know. <laughs> and, I'm, and then I'm wondering, like, there's not... I mean, I understand a $6 million house is probably pretty large, but not so large that it's not like you're covering a 300-acre property. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a home in town, mm-hmm. and 
there's a pool. You would think, you let's check the pool. Maybe there's a pool house, something like that. So how would they just overlook that? Unless they just put it in Betty's hands, Betty, look around, has anything changed? Of course yeah. she's going to say, no, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And then the police just take her word for it. Yeah. So, and something that I wanted to touch on is, you know, how small Huntsville was then compared to how large it is mm -hmm. now. So, at the time, Huntsville, there was only 160,000 people wow. living in the Huntsville area or in Huntsville itself. Mm -hmm. So, as of right now, you know, recording, this is 926, um, we have the population, we almost have 500,000 people here. Wow. We are now bigger than Birmingham. We're bigger than Mobile. We are the biggest city in Alabama at this point. So, back then, like, it's, I feel like, it would have been so easy to search the house. There's not too much going on in and around it. Right. There shouldn't be that much crime. Like, the police should have been fully focused on this and not half-assing it. Yeah, and two, you think about, like, the his stance in the city, how well-known he was, how well-liked he was. Mm -hmm. He was hammering a political sign, so he was obviously involved in the city's politics. Mm -hmm. um, so one would think involved in Huntsville politics, you're probably involved with the police in some way, mm -hmm. supporting um, most likely. Mm -hmm. And from there, if the police show up and you realize that this man is dead, this well-known man, mm -hmm. you would think that that's going to be a top priority. Figure out exactly what happened to him. Mm -hmm. You would assume so. But, you know, after James White's original confession... The sisters, both Betty and Peggy, were immediately arrested. So this, you know, the small community of Huntsville couldn't believe that Betty, a beautiful, stylish, and wealthy housewife, could be capable of such a horrific crime. So when the authorities questioned Betty and Peggy, obviously they denied any involvement in Dr. Wilson's murder. So Peggy did confirm that she knew James White, but only because they worked together at the elementary school. And when she was asked about the long phone calls the two of them shared, she mentioned that White had a difficult home life, and she was just <laughs> consoling him. Of course he did. Yes, mm -hmm. of course. And Betty claimed that White had her gun because he stole it from her house. In what scenario would he have had the opportunity to steal the gun from her house unless he was there to murder her husband? Remember, <laughs> the... Work, you know, air quotes, oh, the work sure. that he did for her. And there's no record of any work being done for them. I could not find anything. So I'm not sure what that work Betty, was. You're full of it. Yeah. That's what I have to say. So um, as the investigation went on, it came out that Betty's life was not as perfect as she claimed it to be. Oh. So it was rumored that she was unhappy with her marriage to Dr. Wilson and that she was a gold digger because she quit her nursing job. And the eight-year age gap between her and Dr. Wilson. Like, okay. my little sister has an eight-year age gap with her partner. I mean, come on. I have a five-year age yeah. gap between me and my husband. That's not... And, like, okay, wait. We need to back up. This is totally off-subject. But where are their six kids? Probably. In all of this? Like, probably grown. I mean, they got was married he in the 70s, and this was uh, 90s. Okay, so okay. he was 55 at the time. Oh, okay. So the kid. Well, I mean, I... Yeah. I mean, I know parents that are... My, one of our good friends, her parents are, like, in their 70s, and she's only our age. Hmm. So, this is... Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. And, <laughs> like I said, I couldn't find any information on their previous marriages, so I don't Weird. know, like, how early they got okay. married to their first partners. All right. 
but uh, Betty claimed that the first few years of their marriage was absolutely perfect, but their relationship deteriorated when Dr. Wilson gave Betty permission to have affairs because she was, oh my, in quotations, suffocating him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know what to say to that. Maybe instead of affairs, we go with hobbies. Why don't you find a new hobby, babe? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe get involved in the community if yeah. you aren't already. Like, she didn't have a job. Of course, yeah, she was probably suffering sure. him. But let's not, you know, open that relationship. No. Because this really bites her in the ass in the end. So authorities claimed that her motive to kill her husband was their $6 million estate. And with the evidence against the sisters, Betty Wilson and Peggy Lowe were charged with murder along with James White. Wow. So the media obviously became frenzied over the evil twins that killed one of their husbands <laughs> to get his $6 million estate, which once again, I'm going to reiterate, today, just inflation alone, it is worth $12 million. $558,546.29. So Peggy, the sister's neighbors, paid $300 bail for her to wait uh, trial out of jail, but Betty had to remain behind bars. See, there's just too many similar names in this case. Yeah. Jack and James, <laughs> both of them have W last names. Yep. And then Betty and Peggy. Like, I understand, like, if I was to have twins, right. I would want, like, to do similar names. Sure. But it just gets confusing after a while. <laughs> Especially when they're all involved. Yes. So the prosecution denied that they wanted to trial this. Oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> the prosecution decided that they wanted to trial the sisters separately. So each oh. of the sisters got their own trial. And this... Interesting. It is very interesting, especially how things play out. Okay. So I'm excited to kind of see your reaction. So almost 10 months after the murder, on March 2nd, 1993, Betty Wilson went to cart... Cart? <laughs> went to court armed with four defense attorneys. Yes. Whoa. So, James White's recorded confession and the objects found in his home were presented as evidence against Betty. I'm not sure what objects found in his home or if the... Presumably the gun, you would think, right? Well, the gun was found in an in abandoned house. Oh, that's house. right. Yeah. So, they can't even... Hmm. Yeah. I, I tried to do some research on it, but it's difficult to find things back from the early 90s. Yeah. So, um, it... Like it said, um, both of those things were presented as evidence against Betty. And unfortunately for her, the media and the prosecution portrayed Betty as this vicious and unfaithful wife. A former housekeeper of the Wilsons testified that Betty and Dr. Wilson slept in separate rooms. And that Betty would have multiple male visitors. Oh my. Yes. And this gets... There's race involved and okay i mean back in the 90s i'm not saying this is okay because obviously it isn't but they were just trying to do everything that they could anything that they had in their arsenal to paint betty to be this horrible woman Mm -hmm. and with the way that the evidence kind of comes out you just you don't know who to believe and like i said this case in my opinion is still kind of unresolved today Mm -hmm. but um a former friend of the couple testified that Betty had come to her and asked for her help in killing Dr. Wh- Dr. Wilson. And then you have to kind of take into account, like, I don't know, because I kind of go back and forth. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Betty did it for sure. Like, mm-hmm. 
makes total sense. Mm -hmm. This man was hired. But then the fact that he doesn't have any information about how he did it. Mm -hmm. And she does have alibis. Mm -hmm. And is it maybe just a ploy to paint her as this picture, as you've said, Mm -hmm. of this horrible person? And when there's really no record of that from Dr. Wilson's account. Like, at no point did he ever, um, at least that we can find, did he ever disclaim to any of his close friends that he was in an unhappy marriage Mm -hmm. you know on all accounts they were a great couple yeah so I I'm really going back and forth on this yes I I was and I am like while I was doing this research I I just I couldn't decide and even now I'm still kind of on the fence Mm -hmm. about who did it and really we can't find any motive Hmm. so um Multiple witnesses testified that they had seen James near the Wilson estate, and a late Gunnersville State Park security guard confirmed White's story regarding the book. Okay. So, uh, this man named Errol Fitzpatrick, he was a former lover of Betty's. He was also oh. called to take the stand. But the defense stated that Fitzpatrick was called to testify to play the race card because he was African-American. Oh. So the fact that Betty cheated on her husband with a black man could make her look even more immoral. Like I said, See, 90s, right. I'm not making excuses. But, and again, it just kind of goes back to like they're just trying to paint her as this bad person. Mm-hmm. is immoral, yeah. vicious woman. Hmm. So the defense argued that White's testimony could not be credible evidence due to him changing his story multiple times. And they said that all the witnesses who testified against Betty were lying. So after two days, two full days of deliberation, the jury found Betty Wilson guilty of capital murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So I'm just going to let you sit with that on your heart for a few seconds, and then just listen. Okay. So six months after Betty's trial, it came time for her sister Peggy Lowe's trial. So the evidence against her was the same evidence that was presented in her sister's trials, but there were three main differences. Okay. So she had a new judge, there was a new jury, and she has a different character than her sister did. But they... Just just (laughs) listen, just listen. Okay. I'm I'm not making excuses. This unfortunately happened. But Peggy Lowe was painted as this wonderful and caring first grade teacher who was devoted to her husband. You know, aside from those hour long yeah, conversations. Yeah, multiple with phone man. calls they yeah. have on record yeah. with a convicted sex offender. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. So dozens of people from her church were waiting outside of the court declaring their friend's innocence. So this time, though, the jurors thought that White's confession was not credible, since his memories of the murder were extremely vague. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and, according to these new new jurors, White never confessed because of the constant changing of his story. So they went into court with the exact same case and are saying that there was no confession. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wow. New judge, new jury. Like I said, this is insane. So, um, forensic analysts testified for the defense that two people committed the murder in the garage and not with a baseball bat, but with another unknown object. 
So remember how I said earlier that he was stabbed mm-hmm. twice? So forensic files said that it could have been a fire poker due to the uniqueness oh, of the injuries. That would make sense with the um, assault as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I didn't find any information about a fire okay. poker being found or being missing. But after only, instead of two days of deliberation, this was two hours of deliberation. <laughs> the jury found Peggy Lowe not guilty. But oh, that's so <laughs> frustrating because they initially, I mean, essentially they had the exact same role, yes. right? And should have had been held to the exact same responsibilities, the exact mm-hmm. same material. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should have had the same judge at the very least. I could understand bringing in a new jury, you yeah. know, just because now that jury is already familiar with the case. Mm-hmm. But even so... And then wow. on top of it, Peggy, in my opinion, if we if we are to believe Jack Wilson's story, yeah, Peggy seduced him into right. killing so her sister's husband. That even puts I was actually before we went through all this, it would make more sense that Peggy hired James out of jealousy. It could be, yeah. You know? Cause then, I mean, if Betty and Dr. Wilson had this agreement that she's able to have all of these other suitors. Mm-hmm. That was their agreement, and maybe he was content with it. Yeah. And then Peggy, unhappy in her marriage, sought after James mm-hmm. and maybe was jealous of the arrangement Betty had. Yeah, that could be. In 1994, one year after both of the sisters' trials, James White recanted his statement. Again? Again. <laughs> But he said that um, he never met Betty Wilson. See, this goes. How did he get her gun? I know. This is what I'm saying. Um, I think I'm telling you what I think. (laughs) Tell me what you think. (laughs) I think Peggy took the gun to show that to make it look like Betty was a part of it. So Peggy took Betty's gun, Mm -hmm. gave it to James during one of their sexcapades, and then hired James to. Probably in the exact way that they're able to prove with the book at the park and all the things. Mm-hmm. And because that would make sense why the, the pay ticket is so much lower. Because Peggy did not come from this home of wealth. Mm-hmm. And she probably couldn't afford a bigger ticket. You, you say it could be... But in all of the stuff that I had read, the sisters were close. Like, they were thick as thieves. But, I mean, come on. I I definitely (laughs) can understand where you're coming from, but after all the research that I have done on this case, Hmm. just the way that they painted the sisters and their friendship, like, it just doesn't line up. Yeah. I don't line up. I don't have a twin, but I do have sisters that I am very close with and I would do anything for. Yeah. So, I don't know, but we're almost finished with this, <laughs> I promise. So, um, the prosecution told him that um, him changing his mind again meant that he lied to the police, and this could now make him eligible for the death penalty. Oh. So, White was questioned about his new version of events in court, and he uh, pled the Fifth Amendment. Whoa. So, he obviously stayed in prison. He was eligible for parole in 2020. 
But after three minutes of deliberation, <laughs> it was denied. <laughs> like, uh, no, not happening. Nope, not today, Satan. <laughs> so um, to this day, Betty and Peggy are still claiming their innocence. And Betty actually remarried in prison in 2006. And her sister was her maid of honor. That is the most wild thing to me when people are like, have these full-on relationships and they're in jail. They're in like full-on prison. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? I, I didn't write this down, but um, if I'm remembering correctly, the guy actually found Betty based on like some forensic files episode, and That's he's just wild. convinced of her innocence, and they ended up sending thousands of... Uh, Letters back and forth and yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. That That is the murder of Dr. Jack Ray Wilson. Wow. I, I agree with you. I don't feel like there's a resolution, Mm-mm. even today. Even with two people in prison, one sister's out. Yeah. I just, oh, yeah, I forgot Peggy's not even in prison. Peggy's not in prison. She oh was gosh. given a not guilty verdict. Once again, I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, so tell me about your case. Who are we talking about today? So, we are not talking about any one person. I will tell you, okay. this is very different than how I plan to do cases in the future. Mm -hmm. And I actually did all of the research on another case that I had found. And in that research came across the case I'm covering today. Okay. And I will admit this is a very, it's going to be very surface level. Um, not, not nearly as much, um, research and you'll, you'll know why. Um, but I do feel like it is it's just wild. It's crazy. Almost as wild as mine. Oh, well. In, in very different ways. Okay. Very different ways. So I'm actually going to take us to the south central part of Alabama. Okay. Um, in Dallas County, Selma, Alabama. Okay. So those who are familiar with Alabama, um, it's a small town on the way from Tuscaloosa to Montgomery. So heading south in the state. Mm-hmm. It is 82.3% African American. Okay. So... Um, Selma is actually infamous for a little bit of a dark reason, but also a really, really historical reason in the African-American community. Was it the and, syphilis trials? And civil, no, civil, civil rights. Oh. Syphilis trials was Tuskegee. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I knew it was someplace in South Alabama. Yes. Okay. So Selma... In 1965, it was the location of a brutal attack on around 600 civil rights activists, including Martin Luther King Jr. Oh. Um, They had planned a march. um, It's about 50 miles from Selma to Montgomery in protest of discrimination of voter rights. So, like I said, it's a really historical moment in civil rights history, Mm -hmm. but really dark in the sense, like, they were attacked by local and state police. Oh, wow. Yes. So they only made it as far as the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which is there in Selma, right on the edge of Selma. And when they they were attacked with billy clubs, tear gas, like I said, by local and state authorities. Oh, my gosh. So it was an attack on their own people. Did you tell me what year this was? 1965. So not even that long ago. No. And that's like the beginning of the civil rights movement as well. Exactly. Oh, wow. So this became known as Bloody Sunday. Um, another little kind of fun fact about Selma for Auburn fans. I'm going to throw in a roll tide here, but (laughs) for our Auburn fans, Selma is also the hometown of James Ralph Shug Jordan, which was the head coach for Tiger football in the early thirties. Oh, wow. So 
kind of interesting little facts there. So, the dark yet notable history of Selma has led to kind of a very mysterious, unsettling present day. Um, so I'm actually going to take us up to starting in 2009. 2009 to present day, 2021, there have been 28 unsolved murders in Dallas County. What? 26 of those have been in the city of Selma. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me? Yes. 26 unsolved murders. Not just murders. That's the ones that are unsolved. So do they think that it's a serial killer or is it just that they don't care about the population that's being So killed? that's all, that's what I want you to think about during, when I tell you about each of these murders. Because I have information, very little information on each one, but I'm going to cover and say the name of each one. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here shook. Like, I told you. How can there be 26? I know. And 28, and Dallas County is not that big. So it, the fact that there are that many in the county and then this, that 26 of those come from that city alone. And I made you a map too, so you can okay. see exactly where, where they're at. So real fast, my question, what is current day population or even the population back in 2009 in Let's Selma? See. So the current population of Selma is just over 18,000. And back in 2009, when this all started, it was actually a little bit higher, um, just right at 1995 to 2000. So it's declined. Probably because they're killing all of their people. <laughs> right? <laughs> all right. So like I said, this is going to be a little bit different than how I plan to research cases in the future. But I wanted to build a timeline and a map of these killings in Selma. And I'm going to do that by giving you a brief outline of each of these victims' cases. And then we're going to talk about what the heck's going on in Selma. So we are starting actually officially on March, 10, March 1st, 2010. 16-year-old okay. Joshua Jackson was a sophomore at Selma High School when he was found dead at the corner of Marie Foster Street and Selma Avenue. The baby. I know, 16 years old. Um, his murder took place after a confrontation he had had with four other males, none of which have ever been named or identified. What? And there have been no suspects in Joshua's case, and Selma police do not have any idea what motivated the crime. <laughs> what? Okay, so there were yep. four people. Four and... people that he had a confrontation with that no one has identified. Okay, but the police officers don't believe that the confrontation is what sparked his murder? No, they have no idea. So this confrontation happened the day before, so just at the end of April, and they believe it was only verbal. They don't believe that there was any sort of um, physical altercation or anything like that. I mean, they're 16 years old, so what is there to fight about at 16 years old? Girls. You know, girls. <laughs> so... Outside of this confrontation, no one has been able to say anything has happened. He was he was seen in this confrontation and dead the next day. That's insane. That's and I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna you're gonna be frustrated throughout this entire 26 <laughs> list of 26 because every single case is like this. I am every single one. So frustrated. <laughs> I'm so happy that I went first because I don't think I could have told mine after listening to this. So we are moving to the next one. Um, the next one was November 16th, 2010. 
The body of Randy Miles was found on Eugene Avenue with a gunshot wound to the chest. No suspects, no witnesses. December 3rd, 2010. Danny Jackson's body was found on Washington Street with a gunshot wound to the leg. He was a husband and father of three. The investigation was never pursued due to lack of evidence. Okay, there's a bullet. Yep. <laughs> what? Due to lack of evidence. Lack of evidence. This man was a father. Like, he was someone something. Like, yep. he was a husband. He was a father. He was a son. Like, yep, and he was nothing. To this day, unsolved. I'm going to go beat some heads together <laughs> down there. Come on. I know. February 17th, 2012, single mother Bridget Woods was caught in the crossfire when multiple gunmen opened fire on each other, sending bullets into her home on Marie oh. Foster Avenue, killing her in her sleep. Oh, my God. Her family described her as someone who loved life and lived it to the fullest, always bringing joy to those around her. No arrests were ever made in her case. Once again, there was a bullet. Can they not do ballistics? Can they not tell us what type of gun it was? And we're in, I mean, we're in 2012. Like, this is not, this is not in the early 90s when, you know, evidence was harder to connect to cases. That's not a thing now. We're in 2012. We have plenty of information. April 22nd, 2014. Andre Robinson was killed during an armed robbery on St. Philip Street. Multiple witnesses were present during the crime, and initially three suspects were reported, yet no one would come forward to identify, and no arrests have ever been made. What? <laughs> yes. No one would come forward? No, no one would come forward. Are you serious? There were so many witnesses. One thing that annoys the crap out of me is the bystander effect. Yes. Like you assuming that someone else is going to go like maybe that's I don't need to say anything here. because somebody else will. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And um if I'm not mistaken his actually took place early like fairly early in the evening. It was not like late at night. So people were out. People were still going about their days. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother, Patricia, still actively speaks out about her youngest son's murder oh. and explains her frustration that so many people could witness something so awful and refuse to say anything. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, we're, you know, almost 10 years. We're get, coming up on 10 years. We're at, what, eight years since that happened and still nobody has said a word. That's ridiculous. They, Someone should do something on the 10-year or maybe even sooner. Yeah. Just trying to bring light to this and be like, you know, we understand the bystander effect is a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But no one has come forward. Can you please come forward so we can get justice for this person? Right. December 27th, 2014, Frederick Harris found shot to death on Broad Street. Not pursued. <laughs> oh my gosh. So March 14th, 2015 is our next one. And this is arguably one of the most widely covered of all the cases in Selma. At least um, it's been covered. Yes. A little bit. Um, Taffney, I think that's how you say it, um, Taffney Berry and her husband Trey Berry were shot in the parking lot of a nightclub. Trey was shot in the leg and hospitalized. He did recover. Good. Um, Taffney did die of her wounds two days later. She was shot actually in the chest and the neck. Um, the club and parking lot were filled with people at the time. The assailant pulled up in a car in the parking lot where he was there to shoot the Berries as they were walking to their vehicle. What? Yep. 
they were shot with an assault weapon, not even just something typical. And they were only shot three times? Uh-huh. Once? What? Yep. And no other people were injured. It was strictly a crime against the berries. I'm screaming at you with my eyes right now. <laughs> I know. I know. And the, uh, this is a nightclub. This is a well-populated nightclub on a evening night. I mean, you would... I got to see what March 14th, 2015 was. Was it a Saturday? Was it a Friday? I'd have to imagine a weekend like that would be very populated. But then with that being said, my question is going to be... No, Saturday night. My question is going to be, did they not have surveillance? So in most of these cases, um, especially the ones that happened on... I'm going to pull the map for you at the end here. But that happen in some of these more well-populated street areas. Um, some of the businesses do, but uh, the, t- the age-old <laughs> saying with CCTV wasn't working, wasn't on, wasn't recording. Um, some just weren't even asked for, you know, because there's no information to pursue the case. So they just drop it. I know. Um, in actually in 2020, Governor Kay Ivey issued a $5,000 reward for any information on Tiffany's murder. Well, at least Meemaw's trying to do something. Uh, (laughs) Meemaw Ivey's out there. Um, and the Barry family is very involved in trying to find justice for her. Good. And in my opinion, the only reason I feel like this one has even gotten this much information Mm -hmm. or been pursued so much is because there was a survivor. Oh, absolutely. In all of the other cases, it looks like they didn't even try yep. to do the most basic amount of exactly. police investigation. Which and is honestly, had Trey died, I think it, they would be just like the others. Yeah. Yep. Without a doubt. So, April 10th, 2015, body of Jimmy Wayne Griffin was found in the ashes of a mobile home fire. Jimmy had been shot in the back prior to being set on fire. Jimmy's family was reportedly... Um, Excuse me. Jimmy's family had reportedly had a very difficult time getting any kind of information and communicating with the Selma Police Department and has been told repeatedly that the case was ongoing and they were working on it. I'm speechless. (laughs) Yes. So a man was found shot to death in his home that was set on fire intentionally and they're working on it. How long have they been working on it now? Well, at least six six years. years. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes. June 11th, 2015, Charles Simpson was found dead by a passerby who stopped to check on an unresponsive man lying on the sidewalk at the intersection of Mechanic Street and Alabama Avenue. And there have been no leads in this case whatsoever. This man was just going about his day and found a dead man laying there on the sidewalk. Do we know how he died? Was talks ever done? Nothing. An autopsy? Not that, uh, not any information that I could find. Oh my <laughs> March 3rd, 2016, Aquavius Lee and Thomas Shelton both shot and killed on Marie Foster Street and Selma Avenue. This one was believed to be a part of an altercation, but again, no witnesses, no one willing to come forward. We need to do an overhaul on that police department. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. What Nima, the heck, Selma? <laughs> Nima, if you are listening to this, please do something. 
March 30th, 2016, 18-year-old Selma High School senior Cedric Williams murdered outside of his, out of a, not his home, it was outside of a home on Etheridge Ave. His family has come out and said that, um, initially it was believed that he lived there and they did say that he did not live there. So, um, I wanted to put that out there. Okay. Police believe that Cedric was involved in a verbal altercation on March 29th that involved a non-fatal shooting of a 17-year-old. It is believed that this group then retaliated, murdering Cedric on March 30th. There have been many people of interest, um, but no arrests have ever been made, nor has anyone ever come forward to confirm that these people were involved. He was nearing graduation and wanted mm -hmm. to become a welder. Oh. His stepfather said that he didn't ask for much and was always smiling. My heart. I know. It's going to tear you apart. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to freaking start crying. I am so frustrated right now. I know. And we're not even done. <laughs> Are we at least halfway done? Let's see. We've, I've got four more pages of this for you. Oh, God. <laughs> so, April 2nd, 2016, Byron McDonald killed on South Maxie Street. His was the fifth murder since March 7th of that year. And the second in that same week. No one has ever come forward about his murder. And his, um, fortunately, in that time frame, um, his was the only one that was unsolved. So the other six that had happened um, were, were confirmed and convicted. Thankfully. Yeah. Thank you. I know. Um, November 30th, 2016, an unidentified body was found by hunters in the woods off of River Road. Um, so when I pull up that map, I'll show you where that's at, but it's actually a little bit more on the outskirts of Selma. Okay. Um, and he was later identified as 17 year old Derek Nichols. Mm -hmm. Derek had recently moved out of Selma because uh, according to his mom, he had decided that it was too violent for him and he wanted to turn a new leaf and do better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, he unfortunately decided that that weekend he was going to return home to visit his mom, who still lived in Selma. What led to his murder that weekend has never been revealed. Um, Derek had been shot a total of eight times, five of those to his head. Yeah. So this baby came home to see his mom after leaving. After this leaving, violent because place. he knew it was this way. Oh my gosh. Like just just imagine like the mom. I know. Imagine and how not, and horrible this must be for her. It's no guilt on her because she let her boy get out of there. Yeah. That that's the most you can do as a mother. Mm -hmm. You know, and to the fact that he at 17 was able to recognize that he didn't want this for his life mm -hmm. and he was able to go off and he moved to Birmingham um at the time. So I mean, he had made changes and he was trying to do good. Selma Police Department believe he was killed at another location and dumped off at River Road. Um, no one has ever come forward, and there are no leads in his case. Of course there aren't any leads. Nope. So this one, I want you to remember till the end because it is so much different than the others. December 8th, 2016, a mother-daughter murder of Katrina and Coleman Moore. Oh. The pair was burned alive when their home was intentionally set on fire with a Molotov cocktail. Katrina was undergoing in-home dialysis. Katrina's the mom. So she was undergoing in-home dialysis treatments. And Coleman, the daughter, was wheelchair-bound due to cerebral palsy. Are you serious? I'm serious. There were three other family members home when this happened. And the other three made it out safely. And, the, and Katrina and Coleman did not. What the fuck? So 
in my opinion, this was an attack on their family, not necessarily the two of them alone. Yeah. But unfortunately, they weren't able to make it. Do you think it could be, like, because the family was tired of taking care of them? I don't know. Do you think it could be, like, a mercy killing? This is why I want you to think about this one until the end, because this is the only one that I don't think... Well, this and there's two others that I don't think can be connected to what's going on in Selma. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just don't know. I just don't know with this one. Oh, my God. The district attorney on the case said that this was a crime of passion and purpose, but they do not know what that purpose is. December 16th, 2016, Jaquan Simmons, 19-year-old gunned down on Kaiser Street. Again, with witnesses, no leads. Oh my gosh. Someone being gunned down, so I'm assuming it was like someone was doing a drive-by. Yep. No one got a vehicle description. No Nothing. one got a license. And if they did, no one will say. Oh. December 18th, 2016, another 17-year-old, Quadricus Bell, shot and killed on Martin Luther King Street. That was the 15th homicide of 2016. Oh my gosh. And just for purposes of discussion, so we're at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of the 16 in 2016 are unsolved. I'm screaming at you with my eyes again. (laughs) I know. Guys, anytime that you hear silence from me, <laughs> just imagine me screaming at you with my eyes. It is like a death glare. I am just, I am at loss for words. Like, I know I keep saying this, but it's come on. It is, there's just no words to describe it. It's unbelievable. May 5th, 2017, 62 year old Charlie Sanders was oh. robbed and shot in front of his home on Tremont Ave. Mr. Sanders was on his way to work and is believed to not know who his killer was. Sanders had a license to carry and was actually carrying his own fully loaded weapon at the time, so they believe that the killer um, came at him from the back of the home and caught him off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also believed to be true because all of everything he was carrying with him, his work materials, his lunch that he had made the night before, oh. um, was laying on the ground next to him. January 9th, 2018... 32-year-old Mike Stone had only recently moved to Selma and was found shot five times on Summerfield Road. This one's going to piss you off because there is video evidence that the Selma Police Department stated there appeared to be multiple assailants involved in the attack and it can be assumed it was drug-related as they did find drugs and drug paraphernalia in nearly every room of the home. No arrests have ever been made. Are you serious? There's literally video evidence at this home, security cameras on this home, and they've never made a single arrest. I'm facepalming so hard right now. (laughs) How? Guys, Selma, come on, dude. July 3rd, 2018, Quentin Davis shot from behind on Pettis Street. Multiple wounds believed to have come from a high-powered rifle. The only information brought forward was that two black males in dark clothing were seen fleeing the suspected scene. So we're getting to a point where at least somebody is willing to speak up, but there's just not a lot they can do with that description, especially in a town that is 82.6% African-American. Unfortunately, two black males in dark clothing is very vague. Mm -hmm. September 9th, 2018, Jasper Smith shot and pronounced dead at the scene on St. Anne's Street. He was actually alive when the police arrived. 
Um, so our response time is picking up a little bit. Way to go, Selma. Two suspects were still on the scene when police arrived and gunfire was exchanged. Um, the police actually pursued these assailants and nothing ever came of it. No arrests have ever been made. Oh, uh... September 23rd, 2018, Raven Carter was found dead on Minter Ave. An officer who was leaving the scene took a different road and was shot twice when he turned down the street and multiple people opened fired on him. On the police officer? On the police officer. So they attended to the scene of Raven Carter and he was leaving the scene and took a different route and was open fired on by, quote, multiple people. Oh my god! Yeah, he was shot twice. He did survive. He was not Good. killed in the in the attack. <coughs> Let me guess. No one was ever brought to justice. No justice. Of course not. November twenty second, two thousand eighteen. Father of four, Jermaine Sanders, was found shot in his car on Church Street. Mm-hmm. He was still alive when found, but died after arriving to DCH Regional Medical Center, which is in Tuscaloosa. Okay. Um, he was believed to to be connected to the next victim. Uh, November 23rd, 2018, Andre Ellis's body was found also in his car on Broad Street um, the following day. No pursuable leads or suspects. Of course not. I'm feeling so discouraged right now. I know. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to bring you down. Oh, gosh. Uh, tw- January 28th, 2019, body of 21-year-old Achilles Rutledge was found at his apartment complex with multiple gunshot wounds on Martin Luther King Street. The area um, had the area had been the scene of many other gun crimes, both before and since he was found. So the, this apartment complex is kind of down a little cul-de-sac, um, and it's a very, very high crime area. At the time of his murder, the apartment complex was heavily populated, and he was believed to have been shot around 10.30 p.m., so that's relatively early in the night. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are still out. I personally am in bed by then, but... <laughs> I'm in bed by 8 <laughs> o'clock. What are you saying? <laughs> Me too, but 10.30 is not that late for no. most people. No, my um, husband goes to bed at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and... Even with this heavily populated area, not one person has ever come forward with information. So, I I have to ask, and I know I've asked this like 16 times already. Mm-hmm. They haven't done any ballistics testings that we know about because there are so many gun-related deaths. I know. Can we not... The thing that I did find is that I think that they are doing the ballistic testing. Okay. Um many of these guns are not registered rifle registered rifles guns they're illegally found yeah they can tell what kind of gun it comes from mm-hmm. but in the in the huge number of gun crimes like you said that are going on in Selma I think it's a drop in the bucket I mean they've had three cases we've covered now are from assault rifles assault rifles are not something you just come by like yeah. those are sought after mm-hmm. so I think it's just like I said it's just it's so it's just not enough. It's just not enough. Um, Achilles did live here with his girlfriend at the time. Um, this is going to be the last one I cover. April 13th, 2019, Terrence Callen was found dead in the backyard of an abandoned house on Lapsley Street. No, no more information than that. So, what the hell is going on in Salem, or excuse me, Selma, Alabama? Selma, dude. You got to get happening? your shit under control. <laughs> Meemaw 
if you listen to True Crime Podcast, <laughs> if for some reason you're listening to this, Mima Ivy, can you please do something? Just like... Please, but be careful when you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. No one um, does. So obviously it's a crap ton of gun violence. Um, and yes, that's the unit of measurement that I chose. Yes. I'm surprised you chose crap ton and not shit ton. <laughs> like I know we said that we're not going to cuss on this. We're going to leave mean... these out. But I'm sorry, Grammy. I'm sorry, Mimi. Please don't beat me. But, and... Only one of these cases can be connected to drugs. I'm, I'm not saying that there are not others that are connected mm-hmm. to drugs, but only one can be confirmed confirmed to be connected to drugs. Um, in that case, it was a, a gentle, the gentleman who was killed um, did come from out of town. He was originally from California and had moved there recently, like I said. Um, vast majority of these crimes are African-American victims. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them vast majority are but again that's a majority in the city yeah so other populations are the minority so Mm -hmm. that could have that could play a a role in it as well yeah there are two identified gangs in selma really um the first is the they're called themselves the mlk gang the martin luther i I would assume martin luther king because there's a street there called martin luther king Mm -hmm. um that's a total assumption so if you're listening i'm sorry (laughs) And the other is the DTE gang. Um, they have also identified a satellite gang um, associated with the Crips. So if you don't know who the Crips are, they are one of the most notorious and violent gangs in the U.S. And Selma, Alabama is said to... There there are members that have been identified as being associated with the Crips. Oh my gosh. So many of these victims are not believed to have connections to these gangs. Um, some of them, there is speculation that they could be, mm-hmm. um, but there's no way to know because no one will say. And no one sounds, will speak up. It sounds like a lot of it is people getting cro- caught in the crossfires. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree. I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of these victims are young high school mm-hmm. students. Um, even though they are great kids, I think they there's a very high likelihood that they could have gotten wrapped up in some of this gang violence um, just because of it's in the area. I mean, mm-hmm. you are a part of where you're from. You know, it's... Well, um, I mean, back whenever I lived in Springfield and I was in high school, there was a gang yeah. there. Like, as much of a gang as you can get right. in Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> right. So, I mean, just... It's just, on. it's so unfortunate that we have cities like this that you don't have a chance. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're brought up in this area and you have, you almost have to, to survive. One of these people even tried to get out. Yeah. But as soon as they went back to visit their mom, it was, that was it. Over. In 2018, 18 people were convicted on narcotics conspiracy and firearms offenses. So I think as years, as this has become more recent and these um, unidentified, these unsolved murders have continued, um, I think Selma has tried um, to, to do better. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that there's not much you can do when people aren't speaking up. Yeah. And why aren't these people speaking up? Why, you know, why out of these, in some cases, 10, 20, 30 bystanders that are witnessing this awful crime... Why will not one person say anything? Because of the gangs. I yes, like, exactly. I'm I'm no longer thinking that it's the bystander effect. I'm one hundred. I think they're scared. Convinced that it's the gangs. I mean, I, I agree. I think the population of Selma is afraid. 
Yeah. And I don't think, I, I will not go as far to say that I think, oh, Selma is just gangs. I, I don't think that's true. I think that um, there's probably a vast majority of Selma that is not involved. Mm-hmm. But the, how violent these gangs are mm-hmm. has frightened the whole community. Yeah. I definitely would be terrified. Yeah. I wouldn't like say that. anything. Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. I do think that not all of these cases are gang related. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the Moors, for example, that's the mother daughter duo, yeah. um, killed by a crime of passion and purpose. Um, I I could not. I I racked my brain. I did as much research as I could find, and I could not find a single connection that they would have had to gang violence. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it, maybe it could have been a, a a hard thing weighing on the family, just mm-hmm. the state that these two were in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that health and financial trouble can be a big a big motivator in some of these cases yeah and with how little work the police have been doing or have been able to do exactly exactly and and two the the crime was so different Mm -hmm. a molotov cocktail arson you know and most of these cases are gun gun related Mm -hmm. so that just it makes it stand out to me um and then i do believe you know um, the 62-year-old gentleman who was murdered of armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think he was caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to attack Selopidi, but what the hell is going yeah, on? What on, are guys. you doing? You need to get it together. <laughs> and then how so many cases in such a small town can sit unsolved for so long yeah. is infuriating. Yeah. I mean, we're talking this earliest started in late 2009 Mm -hmm. so we are well past the 10-year mark of when this started Mm -hmm. and it's only increased i mean it's it spiked in 2016 and we are still on an upward upward increase on this most of these are unpursued and even though they're they haven't been classified i would classify them as cold i don't think that i don't think unless something drastic comes out and somebody says hey, I was there on this day, I saw this happen, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're going to pursue them any further. No, I don't think they are. As horrible as that is to say, and as upsetting as that is to think, I don't don't think much is going to be done. I don't either. And there are quite a few of the families are still speaking out, so if you do know anything in your near Selma or were there at the time, absolutely speak up and say something because mm-hmm. I, I think that's the only way that they're gonna that these families are gonna have answers yeah speak up and get out yeah like do what you can to get out of that area yeah that's insane so that is the horrible reality of Selma Alabama it's still occurring in current day I think it's almost easier to cover cases that we have a resolution. Obviously, it's easier to cover cases when there's a resolution. Mm -hmm. But I think it's even easier to cover cases that happened, you know, in the 50s, in the the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Because you don't, it doesn't feel like today. You know, it doesn't feel like it's present day. It's like, oh, well, times were different in the 60s. Times were not different in 2018. No, they weren't. We were, this is, this is today. This is even 2009. This is today. This This is is happening now. Mm Mm-hmm. This is something that we should have gotten on top of. Yeah. And I, I think, unfortunately, um, the fact that majority of the population in Selma is African-American, I think that, especially in southern Alabama, I think mm-hmm. that plays a big role in why there's just not much coverage. Dude. I told you. <laughs> I told you. And I'm sorry, all of, all of our listeners, I'm sorry that it's very surface level, and I wish I had resolutions for all of these families but 
like I said, it's just the horrible, horrible reality that we're in in Selma, Alabama. Well, do you want to tell people where they can find us? So if you want to join our bandwagon on this road trip across the United States. Say that word again. Bandwagon. Bandwagon. <laughs> so cute. It's the Minnesota. Find us on Patreon. We are Killer Country Podcast on Patreon. And if you're wanting to follow us on Facebook, we are at facebook.com backslash Killer Country Podcast. We also are taking requests, so if you have any cases that you would like us to cover in any of our upcoming states, the next being our next stop being Alaska, yes. um, you can send in those listener requests um, to killercountrypodcast at gmail.com. And if you're wanting us to tell any of your stories around the campfire, we're planning on doing campfire stories once a month. You can send it to our email as well. Once again, it's killercountrypodcast at gmail.com. And thank you all so much for listening. And we hope you join us on this road trip. And don't do anything we wouldn't do. Please don't. <laughs>